Welcome to The Takeaway Unscripted, a podcast covering the weird, the wild, the interesting, and the hopefully culturally relevant news that makes advertising more valuable for everyone. It's episode seven. I mean, there's nothing significant about the number seven. It's just what episode we're on. Uh, welcome to another episode of a podcast. The BuzzFeed says too much info, not enough listicles. Yeah. Um, and Pandora says great, but probably needs more ad breaks. Also true. Ain't that the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, as always, when we say it's the takeaway unscripted, we really, really mean it's unscripted. If you're taking the time to listen, we want we want to make sure you hear our unfiltered, fresh, definitely unfounded possibly illegal thoughts. How are you doing, Harrison? I'm doing great. I had a couple of thoughts uh, just on the introduction. I do think we shouldn't undersell seven the number. I mean, mm. you know, it's a Brad Pitt movie. Um, and also it's like, it's one of the earliest prime numbers you can get to if you're starting from zero and counting up. And relatively speaking, I think that gives it, you know, it's pretty good as numbers go. You know, that's a good feedback. Um, there's also lucky number seven. Um, Thank a, you. A very underrated movie. That is a very underrated movie. Nobody talks about it, but it's so no. it's so gosh darn good. But that's why we're here doing this podcast that's so right. that we can get that in. Yeah, exactly. That that is an epitome of hopefully culturally relevant news. A ten to twelve year old movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird to do a movie set, and I think in the twenty late twenty odds, and still be dating yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's okay. We're not. But we find we find a way. Love finds a way. Love always. Love actually finds a way. <laughs> nice. This is good. This is actually the the launch of our first uh, tangent into actually doing movie podcasts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. M- movies and marketing. Um, mm-hmm. Stay on the lookout for it. All right. What do we got? Let's. Um. What do you? Should we? Should we do a quick circle back? I think we should. I think, I we, think should we should too. Mm-hmm. So. We, we in the ad industry and marketing industry, we have some terms that we know and love and circle back maybe one of them. And we thought episode seven, fantastic episode number, is the perfect time to start circling back on some topics that we've talked about just in case anything new has happened. So we'd be remiss not to take a little bit of what we do in our day to day, which is follow backs, circle ups, whatever we call them, and do a little bit of that at the front end of the podcast, just in case we have one more comment. Which, would you say, Harrison, that we we followed up offline? I'd say we followed up offline. We came back, uh, regrouped as a team. And while this will not be a deep dive by any means, um, we just wanted to lightly touch on a couple other thoughts. And I think mainly we had one that popped up. We've been away because like we said, self-care is important. So these aren't always routine and we did have kind of a busy month. So we're back. We talked last time about the metaverse, if mm-hmm. I do recall. Is and that still around? I think a couple things have happened. Yeah, the trend's still picking up Steve as, mm-hmm. as we'll talk about in a sec. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that kind of happened since we last spoke about it is we were briefly touched upon the metaverse and about how the idea of like virtual capital, um, crypto doing what would you say i would say that you know um crypto has had a very interesting uh couple of weeks uh especially with uh, what, 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 what's 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 the word they used a market crash 
I believe. That's a good word. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, accurate. I think over $400 billion in value was wiped out in terms of crypto market capitalization in the last couple of weeks alone. They're calling it the crypto winter. Yeah, um, the, the long winter the, to keep going with our long, movie and TV show yeah, references. Winter is coming along uh-huh. with bankruptcy. Um, uh, and I think it just goes to show how hard it can be to invest in something as inherently volatile as crypto is. Um, and I know a lot of brands have been doing it from different perspectives, whether it's investing in crypto from a brand perspective or actually doing things like accepting crypto payments and things like that. Like, it feels like this is not to say that it won't bounce back because it probably will bounce back because crypto is that volatile. But it is a little bit of a warning for brands that inherently hitching your wagon to a sense, a currency, a technology as volatile as crypto is is probably a bit more of a warning sign than you may think. Yeah, I think it's just a a reminder that the value of crypto is still largely tied to the value of the dollar. And when that is going down, crypto will go down. And I think in some ways we were hoping it would be sort of the savior and uh, remove itself from the complexities and the uh, corruption of like the, the monetization and, and sort of the other traditional forms that we have. But this was a very clear example that the end game of crypto, at least in the current form, is still to get out of crypto and get into cash. And when cash is doing well, crypto isn't doing well either. So thought that was tough. Uh, prayers to to all brands and all people. That, Thoughts and prayers. Yep, had, that had, had watched that happen. Um, and also, I think it's just a reminder, because when you do get into these spaces, we've explored some of the stuff for brands and you need to open up e-wallet you need to have crypto even if you're just like selling nfts you need to have money in that to pay for those transactions and do some of that stuff so there is a little bit of this stuff that i feel i feel bad for anybody that was trying to get into that space at the time where maybe their wallet um uh turned into something far more uh appealing hey you know things bounce back eventually things bounce back and then speaking of there was two new things at the end of the metaverse podcast we did a little hot or nah which we which we like to do from time to time um there was a couple new ones that actually dropped earlier this week and i think maybe as as long as a week ago let's do another quick hot or nah shall yeah, we for sure just let's do it. just real quick circle back on a hot or nah mm-hmm. one domino's plays with the metaverse creating mind ordering it's, it's a partnership of strange things. They've created an app that actually lets consumers order pizza that they know that they want without doing anything other than the power minds. I'm guessing there's maybe something else happening there. But generally, what do you think about partnership? What do you think about the chance that you do something, some some pretty relevant IP? Would you stop or would you say no? Nah? I would say that, no pun intended, this pizza is hot um, because... It's an actual uh, execution that plays not only into the brand, but is using the metaverse in a way where it actually is an additive function and creates a sense of novelty. I think like I think like when we talk about marketing effectiveness, it's usually it usually falls into two different buckets. Bucket number one is you are solving an essential problem for a consumer, and that's where you sort of develop that sense of value. Um, problem number two is you develop a sense of unique novelty that the consumers can't find anywhere else. Um, and it feels like with this metaverse play, Domino's has invested a lot more into the second thing. Candidly, 
nothing really wrong with the way we order pizza now. So you're not really solving the no. problem there. In fact, I'd probably say just agree. going on the app is easier. Um, but the sense of novelty by feeling like you're 11, no, well, not, not like the age 11, but like the character 11 from Stranger Things, <laughs> right. um, nice. which is a, an inherent difference to make. Uh, and you can order things with your mind. It's like, oh my gosh, now I feel more emotionally attached to the IP. I feel more emotionally attached to my pepperoni and green pepper pizza. Um, and I feel more emotionally attached to the Domino's brand overall because this is just kind of cool. And now I'm going to go watch Netflix and probably order Domino's at the same time. True, true harmony. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. It felt fun. It also felt like um, true to Domino's. Like they've kind of been doing this like playfulness and innovation and just trying to be much more than like a pizza company that can get you pizzas to your door. Um, the one that is most even just like them replacing or filling potholes in your area and putting their logo on that is like it's just like that type of stuff where I'm like full permission. You've created a brand that when you see this type of stuff, um, you're you're sort of like like Domino's has full permission uh, from culture to like kind of do this type of thing. And then when you see it, you're like, yeah, of course they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll say so. I think we're both hot on that one um, yeah. for the next one. Let's talk about potentially the first car launch in the metaverse. Yeah. Um, Hyundai um, is launching a program they're calling Welcome to the Crediverse. Uh, and I think that pun was very intended. Yeah. And it's basically the unveiling of Hyundai's new Creta SUV in the Crediverse. Um, on June 9th, Hyundai will launch the new Creta in Decentraland, a unique experience in the new Creta stand in the museum district of Decentraland, which I've never been to personally, so I hope to go one day. Um, you'll be able to see Hyundai's brand new SUV as never before, enjoy live music, snag some free wearables, and experience many other things. Love the vagueness there. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, what, how, how do you feel, Harrison? Hot or nah? Um, I, I think I'm leaning pretty nah on this one. And also, yeah, like it makes sense as a circle back thing. When we did kick the tires on 2022 trends. And I think we talked about, there was an NFT thing that I remember talking about where I was like, I think a lot of brands are gonna take the thing that works in the real world and just port that over and be like, this will work here too. And this seems like a great chance to say, look, here it is. Here's Hyundai doing a launch event for a thing that I hope that they had that name before the metaverse. Um, and I, I don't know, like, I don't know if people are going to want to go check out a car, but maybe, I don't know if it's going to be a, a Hyundai SUV, like maybe if it was, you know, the, the brand new sexier version of, of something. I don't know See, if like the, the, the fam, the family midsize is like the one that's really going to hook but there's, but there's something you're missing, Harrison. What okay. would make this experience magical is that you went to the Centerland to see the Creta. Creta? I'm going to so I'm going to go with Cretaverse because I think the pun makes it Creta. Yes. And not only do you see the car, but you also have a dealer that stalks you while you are trying there to walk, look at the car and they won't let you leave without making a deal today. See, that is an experience that is full of novelty and, and creates a problem that it can also solve for you. And that feels like marketing harmony. I, I appreciate that also to, to circle back to back and back to the metaverse one more time when we talked about like the decentralization of these experiences. If I could take this Creta and go do a little test drive in GTA, now we're talking like mm. now I'm getting a sense of track man, 
Yeah, you know, I, I can really feel out the brakes or not for a variety of purposes. So now, like, now we're actually that could get hot. Um, but yeah, I think I'm probably not going to go to this launch event. You've just described the the dream of every child in GTA, which is to drive an SUV. Their mom's, <laughs> their mom's <laughs> car. SUV down the street. I would love to drive a Dodge Caravan uh, <laughs> down the streets of of of, of GTA. If you want. Yes, um, as as somebody whose first car was his mother's uh, minivan, um, I can attest that there's no cooler feeling. Shout out to the '91 Nissan Altima. Oh hope man, to, hope to see you soon again in the virtual. <laughs> maybe world. maybe in the metaverse. Maybe. All right, well, I think that's plenty of circle back for today. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. I think like let's move on to our main topic of the day, a topic we have lovingly called millennials. How millennials killed long-term brand building um obviously a wonderful title completely accurate completely non-fictional um but we feel like it's right for today um, agreed you know the stock market has done some weird but interesting things lately to brands that have kind of been pillars of advertising from elon musk maybe not maybe buying twitter um to netflix having a mid-brand crisis due to losing what is honestly a small amount of subscribers for the first time in its life, there is something to be said about the effect of the stock market on brands and how it affects their long-term plans. Now, due to Elon having enough money to play will they, won't they with Twitter stock, we're gonna focus more on Netflix and its own particular set of issues and how it feels relevant of larger conversations than advertising. In other words, it's time to blame millennials and the stock market for long-term problems. Yep. Um, so I'll just, I'll get right into it. Just talking about Netflix, Harrison. You know, yep. Netflix after losing 100K-ish subscribers for the first time in their entire history of skyrocketing growth has honestly dominated the news headlines. It's actually crazy how much media has reported on the number that's been lost and every subsequent decision that's come out of it. Publications yeah. are filled with tasty gossip and rumor on Netflix's decisions and scrambles to make up for this, this operating loss. Yeah. From new limits on family plans and sharing, which to all reports hasn't gone well because again, the media is reporting on every single thing. Content cuts, cancellations, and even trying to think about an exploration of live streaming and more, which has normally been dominated by Twitch and to a lesser extent, um, YouTube Live. So my first question yeah. about this really important and monumental topic, Harrison, is what's your favorite Netflix show and why is it too hot to handle? Yeah. Yeah, it's not too hot to handle. It's Drive to Survive. Um, but that's just currently. Oh, so we're relying on podcasts now. Okay. Uh -huh. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, yeah, it's not too hot to handle. I'm not going to let you box me into that corner. Boxing you in a corner you built yourself? That's fine. It's still cool. No. That's not, that's not okay. That's not okay. Um, what's yours? Uh, dark. Oh yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. German. Yeah. German yeah. time, time traveling, but good. Yeah. Totally. Um, All right. Well, now that we cleared that up, do we have any other time? <laughs> <laughs> We're done. We're done with this comment. Okay. Well, that was quick actually. Was quick. Um, well, I think, Hey, how do how should Netflix have responded to this sort of 
growth. Uh, is this uh, is what they're doing too much too soon? Are yeah. they starting to lose sight of what long-term growth is? What are your thoughts on that? All right, so I would like to postulate that what earlier we talked about the market's effect on what brands do. And I would argue that it's actually that there's a theory out there that brands affect what the market does that basically marketers and advertising we all just we work in narratives on behalf of the brand right narratives are what we all get paid to do pr publicists agents ad agencies creative shops consultancies marketing teams on the brand side whatever we all just try to control the brand's narrative to benefit the business and to benefit consumers that's basically what we all do right mm -hmm narratives are really the only, like, so there's a whole theory it's tied to, um, I'm going to forget the guy that actually came up with it. There's a thing called narrative economics, which is basically anchored in uh, thinking fast and slow type of system one, system two, mm -hmm. that says like the market's never been rational, despite what we all think that stories about what a brand is worth or how good a business is doing, um, make people either invest or drop out. And I think it's really interesting because I feel like there's this new narrative of like the market used to be rational and now it's emotional. You heard, uh, you know, Buffett at the Berkshire Hathaway, like his, his latest annual meeting, I think this past year talked about it as now it's gambling and those terrible people over at Robin hood are letting people jump onto this platform and gamble their money away. And here's what's happening. I think the argument is it's actually always been that there's just smarter people that know which narratives to pay attention to, but ultimately narratives are what drive the market up or down. So that I think is the interesting thing is like Netflix had this boom where they could do no wrong. Mm -hmm. And the narrative to your point was, God, everything they do is gold. Their marketing examples are just chef's kiss. Their content is supreme. They're going to invest $20 billion over X amount of years to make their content even better. And even though they're trading at a rate that was like absolutely absorbent of like what their actual market share was, people loved them for it, didn't care. The, the price point went up. So some of this, I think, was just once you see actually, OK, growth is literally halting. They've lost 100K. Then something as simple as that can change the narrative. But there's a lot of examples where those type of things don't have any effect. Mm -hmm. So my general thought is to your point, I do think it's probably like a lot of conjecture and a lot of like running around for nothing. I'm guessing if they waited this out, like most things, they would see sort of a rebound, but they were also, I think some of it is just like a right side of the market because they were trading so beyond where they should have been at that one little thing like does tend to bring like these tech companies back down to earth. So that's generally my my kind of thought. I'm curious your take as well. I think mean, I, I don't disagree with everything anything you're saying. I think what's interesting on top of that is, you know, truly Netflix has started to embody the modern debate between short termism and long termism in terms of brand narrative building. You know, mm. I think that you are right in that most brands bounce back from temporary dips, but I think there's like an interesting thing happening here where actually the the market has always been emotional but the information about the market has never been as transparent as it is now 
you see when um, sort of investor reports happen and Netflix is talking to their investors, I think for any brand, yep. not even just Netflix, you can actually see industries, whether it's gaming, gaming, for example, more often than not, gaming websites will now pay such deep attention to investor meetings in terms of what games are coming out, what the services are going to focus on, et cetera, et cetera, that it actually can have this weird impact on the stock just from that alone. Yep. But what isn't talked about is how deep that impact is. More often than not, the stock market is like a ripple in the ocean, especially for if you have a brand that has sort of a solid offering and a solid foundation and a solid consumer yep. base, which Netflix does. It's more like a ripple in the ocean, but it feels like this ripple turned from a ripple into sort of a showcase of the old allegory of the emperor's new clothes. Yeah. Um, and finally, everybody's seeing Netflix come down, they're crashing. But it's also so wild to see this narrative because I do remember when I was starting out or when I was younger in strategy, at least, Netflix was truly the one that we always had to reference in mm -hmm. case study decks for who's doing brand building right. You know, like there's obviously, there's always the Nikes, there are the Apples. Yes, there, there is like a, a core group of of brands that every marketer, regardless of what industry you're in, almost to the detriment of what industry you're in, that will reference these brands. And for Netflix was one of them. Yep. You know, for some of their earlier prestige shows like Narcos, uh, one of my favorite examples for what they did when they were marketing it was, you know, Narcos is a show about, you know, drug running. And they actually partnered to do more than a couple's uh, deep investigative reports on drug running in Colombia or other places where Narcos takes place. And it was like, yes, we're, we're going to give you information, but we're also going to kind of pioneer this type of advertorial, informative, but entertaining thing that provides a world and a context around the show so that you're not just investing in the show for this season, you're investing in this show for the universe. It's own type of sort of long-term brand building from a show perspective. Now, when you even bring in the things they did from a brand perspective, like you know, let's talk about Netflix and chill, which is old news by now. But when that came out, they embraced it and actually did marketing things around Netflix and chill. Things don't necessarily say we're directly converting you to watch our show, but it was more things that built brand love around Netflix as a whole. And I think right now the true debate for Netflix is how long term can you look and how much can you weather the storm? Because I think that is what truly defines a narrative candidly is not even how good or how great the narrative is yourself but how long you can stick with it yeah i i mean i agree like the one that comes to me recently is before i saw drive to survive i saw uh one of the drivers doing a thing with gq where he was basically reviewing old f1 and or just kind of drivey movies to be like how accurate is that I was like, this is kind of interesting. And he was, you know, doing driven with, um, I'm going to forget the, the names of the celebrities. So I'll just move on. But it was the perfect, to your point on the Narcos thing, it was the perfect idea of like, in order to get people to like the show, they might need to be, there might need to be a pre-ramp into sort of the culture itself of F1 and just kind of drive culture that we may want to precede. And I thought that it was so kind of accurate of like a, a marketer's like really digesting how they're going to bet on a show, but then do it in a way where you're not like beat over the head with just, you know, 
day date time like tune in on tuesday for new episodes of 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 drive to survive which is obviously not the netflix model anyways but Mm -hmm. um i used to work in entertainment where that was a big thing and it was all it was all tuesdays at nine tuesdays at nine that you have to watch this thing and it was all like lead to us rather than actually just get excitement around culture so i do think even when they're show like they do really great examples where even when they're betting on the show there's still they've got some kind of long-term forethought or just kind of i guess uh sort of one step removed from actually show promotion to be about like promoting the culture of the show or the context of the show more mm-hmm. generally to get people interested in that, which I think is always really smart. And I, I appreciate when they do that. And then they also actually do just pure brand stuff. Like I remember um, seeing, I think a case study where they had put a bunch of bar materials in bars all over the country that were basically icebreakers. They were, um, you know, coasters and napkins that that had different questions about Netflix. What's your favorite show? What do you remember watching? What are you watching right now? As basically a way to like create conversation with people just about their brand. So they've done really great things. Like to me, I see this, it's not a fall so much as it is just a recalibration of we had put them on such a pedestal as a, as marketers, Mm -hmm. as a, as a brand. And I mean, the trick, like, they were trading at too high of a share for what their actual capital and, and profit was, right? Like there had to be a a comeback down to earth from them. So I, I still think that they're a brand to believe in and will continue to dominate the, um, to continue to just pr- probably dominate the streaming market for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, um, I think we just, we love low. to watch. Yeah, we love low, to like see it. Three out of four households have a Netflix account. Yes, exactly. Low. Yes. Even when m- multiple people are probably sharing passwords, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, you would never. I would never. I would never. You say know. That. You know what? Actually, let's talk about that because that brings sure. up an interesting part around. It's actually another sub segment of this long term brand building question because one could argue, and you know, Netflix is trying to limit sharing and, and among households, etc. Is that their long held practice of not caring whether or not you shared passwords actually did more to build the Netflix brand than any individual marketing campaign. Yes. And I think we've talked about this before where like, even for the metaverse, like the secret to the metaverse more often than not is the ease of access to an experience. You know, that is why like Fortnite continues to be the number one example of why the metaverse could be a thing is because it's free to play. It's available on every system. Anything can play it. Anyone yes. can play it with the full features that, that are available to them. So it becomes a world where the only interaction limiting, the only limiter to your interaction is the depth of your interaction and how deep you want to go. And I think to a certain point, Netflix kind of benefited from what, what I'm calling like the, 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 the password sharing economy. Like because there's so many streaming services, there is sort of like an underground economy among all streaming services of where like I'll pay for Netflix, you'll pay for HBO Max, you'll pay for Apple Plus, you'll pay for Hulu, we'll share passwords. But ultimately we're all watching content, all talking about the same things and all doing the same things. Now I think that like their recent family plan crackdown actually is probably one of the worst things they can do because of the fact that the sharing built brand equity by by extending Netflix to more homes than it ever would have been if it truly paywalled all of its things. 
Now, I'm, I'm willing for you to argue with me on that because maybe it's the fact that they've reached a point of saturation and now they need to sort of make more from less members and things like that if they truly want to be profitable. But I do think that I actually look at the, the password sharing economy as a net positive for Netflix, not a net negative. I wish I would argue with you, but I can't because I completely agree. Like, I think that what it did was it created a shared understanding that we all probably have Netflix, which makes it easier to talk about what are you watching? What's your favorite show? There's, there's just a sh immediately a shared, like we all understand that I'm either paying for it or I'm borrowing it from a friend or family member. And two, I think, and they've, I'm sure they've done a bunch of research on this. Um, you can't just assume that if you take somebody's Netflix away that their next reaction is, well, I guess I'll pay for that too. Like, especially with what we just talked about, the market is not in a good place. Crypto is not in a good place. Um, and there's a ton of, I think right now there's, last time I checked, I think five plus subscriptions or something like that, like per person, like you do have to say no to things. So I think generally like the password sharing, um, you have to be really careful because I don't think you can just necessarily say, all right, 20% of our 30% of our, our audience is sharing passwords and getting it for free. And we can assume that, you know, even 15, 10 to 15% are just going to have that pulled from them and immediately go in and buy it themselves. I think a lot of people like there's a lot of great content mm -hmm. and you might miss it. Um, but do you miss it enough to sign up for, you know, like hundreds of, of dollars a year to, to have it back? Um, I don't know. So I think, I think password sharing has been effective. I remember there was like a, was it like Emmys years ago where one of the, um, SNL standup, uh, folks was hosting and basically like told national television, his, his username and password so that everybody could password share with them. This is amazing. It had to been like six years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, the, you mean in the before times before COVID? It, correct exactly in the right in the time long ago before the long winter um but, but like i mean like and and i think it was it may not have been netflix i think it may have been hbo but i'm I'm pretty sure they had somebody come out the next day from hbo or whichever the streaming service was and, and they were like we're fine with it the more people that are on our platform watching our tv and talking about it in culture the better off we are so i think there was and, and that's obviously it once the market drops that's a harder thing to go into the market and, and say um but I think there's been a reason that, you know, all of these streaming services have turned a blind eye to it for as they have. I think generally they all know it's good. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that um, we're generally in agreement on sort of the value of long-term brand building. I think I have like two kind of finalish questions okay. to ask. One of which, which I'll answer first to give you some time to think about it, is um, what other brands do you think kind of embody the value of long-term brand building. Um, and then we can talk about sort of how modern day marketers and ad agencies and things like that just start to keep in mind, like how do you keep some of the tenants or necessary things about long-term brand building in mind? Cause that is generally a question that is plaguing the industry across the board mm -hmm. is how do we make brands think beyond quarters to think sort of on an annual basis or a biannual bit, not a biannual, but like two years, three years, four years down the line, because that's sort of definitely that narrative has changed. Um, to the first question, for me, my example of like long-term brand building brands uh, would be insurance companies, 
actually are probably the best example of it. I mean, even for a lay person, you know, say a brand name and you will likely know the jingle like you know or don't know your parents' birthday. Yes. Uh, Nationwide is on your side. Stay Farm, like a good neighbor, Stay Farm is there. Progressive, shout out to Flo. Yeah. Uh, Auntie Flo. Um, may we all have a career as long lasting as Flo. May we flows. all have a career as long lasting as Flo is. Um, basically, call her Florida, you know? Um, yes, yeah, for real. Uh, but like, we know these jingles and we kind of know that Geico save 50% or more in 50 minutes yes. or less because there is like a consistent narrative that they've always stuck through for darn near decades. Yeah. Decades. Yes. And like, regardless of any temporary dips in the market, um, it feels like they've managed to find a rate of success. And I think there's something to learn there from like how we now do advertising modern days where every year or every six months, depending on what brand you work on, there is like a new brief for a new campaign or a new positioning rather than, I, I would say the difference is creating a new positioning versus adding depth to the positioning you already have. Because mm-hmm. when you add depth, you actually reinforce your brand in people's minds versus trying to reshape or rechange yourself for a new audience every single year. And I think that's like the benefit that you could see from insurance companies. Like they keep adding depth to their branding, not reshaping it for a whole new generation. I am obsessed with insurance companies and the way that they market um, because I think it's so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really glad you brought them up because I actually, as you were you were asking me the question, I was kind of like, I don't really know. But I think you're dead on about the idea of long-term brand building and, and basically just how long it takes to be known for a certain thing in a certain category. And what I really appreciate is, is if you look at Geico, um, they, there are different comes barriers. There's different reasons to sort of not want to, there's different reasons to not want to get insurance. And there's different reasons for why you don't want to actually go through the hassle of changing insurance companies, right? Mm -hmm. One is it's way too complicated. So they do so easy. A caveman can do it for like a decade, right? And they also made, by the way, a a freaking ABC show with the cavemen. Do you remember that? Oh, do I remember that? Of course I do. It was great. I mean, not the show, but just the act, the audacity. The audacity. Mm-hmm. But great. Um, I didn't watch the show, but but right. So so they do that, right? They know that um, another one is time, right? So they've got a gecko on TV and all over the internet for at least ten years that has been telling you fifteen minutes saves you fifteen percent. Time, time, time complication 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 the other one is what well, i'm going to blank on what one of their other um examples but there's there's another one that they have where it's you know they they basically do it as some people don't want to do it because it's too much time some people don't do it because they don't think they'll save enough some people don't do it because they think it's too complicated to do right now all of those things we're gonna we're gonna solve with a 10-year creative container that we're just going to continue to put money into and 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 then we'll iterate within that but it's it's long-term commitments to the the comms barrier and the problem to solve and then it's long-term commitment to 
the brand associations that you're going to put next to them, the icons, the logos, the jingles, the whatever, the, you know, whatever it is with your, your use of, of comms devices, whether that's humor or sincerity or, um, surprise or, you know, whatever it is, but they, it, it really is the commitment that I think is incredible. And the other thing I would say is like the market is rebound, like with all of these cases, good examples and bad examples. If you stick it out, you're usually going to be back on your feet at some point in time. Easy for legacy brands, harder for, you know, new and upcoming brands. I wouldn't mm-hmm. encourage maybe like the startup culture uh, to to just like rest on their laurels. But for the most part, when Papa John's was trading at 53 a share and then he spouted out a lot of racist things that were all on a, uh, a earnings call or, or an internal call, um, shares dropped 30%. Five months later, they're back at exactly what they're trading at. During the pandemic, they were trading at $76 a share, right? So they they had far exceeded what had happened. When Nike did the Kaepernick spot, they're trading at 80 a share. Shares fall 10%. They the, Two weeks later, three weeks later, they're back up to 80. And during the pandemic, they're at 180. Um, and there's other examples of this, right? Like, like Facebook, when the Cambridge Analytica stuff came out, shares dropped 30% overnight. And then they rebounded and then they dropped again just a couple of weeks ago. But like, I think the, the, the theory is, in my perspective, is that we can focus on narratives for your brand and narratives will move the needle up and down and bad narratives suck because they, they're, they're shown in the market. They're shown quickly um, because we're all emotional. And even the ones that pretend they're not still trade based on what they find to be the most compelling narratives. Um, but eventually, if you can kind of control that narrative and make it better, um, and do the things that you need to do to prove it to consumers that they'll actually pick that narrative up and prefer it and prioritize it over others. Um, you're going to be fine. Like, don't react. Yeah. I mean, it almost feels like the advice for marketers and advertisers, and I'm going to use a word that you use because I really liked it, is that advertisers need to commit to the audacity of a consistent narrative, not the audacity of reinvention. Yes. Because... You know, there's a campaign that has been in my head for darn near three decades now that I'll never forget. And it's not because it's a good one. It's because they were so gosh darn consistent and relentless in how they marketed that I can't get out of my head. You know what that campaign is? I can't wait. Head on, apply directly to the forehead. (laughs) That campaign is stuck, stuck in my head. I don't even know where you buy head on nowadays. But for years and years and years and years, they dominated late night infomercials with head on applied directly to the forehead. And like, yes, that is a crass version of what I'm talking about. But I also think that like, there are certain things in this industry that we have created boogeymen out of. Yeah. We've created boogeymen out of the idea of creative wear out. We've created boogeymen out yes. of the idea of campaign wear out, where actually the reality is, because of ad blindness, because of all the opportunities it takes for someone to avoid your ad, people probably aren't seeing your ad as often as you think they are. They're not exposed to your platform as often as you think they are. I mean, we're marketing people, so we always see the ads because we're trained to, because we're trying to see who's doing what, what's going where, what's totally. the new thing out there. But it feels like the idea of creative and campaign wearout has so permeated our industry that the audacity of staying the course creates such red flags that it's almost hard to ignore. But we've run this for a quarter. We need new creative. Do you? Do you need new creative for the person that 
maybe watches streaming TV, maybe sees a banner ad on the internet, but then doesn't look at it because candidly, who's looking at the side rail or the 320 totally. by 250, the most standard mobile unit out there? You know, I think, or 300 by 250, I should say, sorry yeah, for yeah, yeah. My, my misinterpretation. Of course, no, um, it's, it's okay. You're a strategist. You don't need to appreciate that. Thank have you. those dimensions fully hammered out in your brain. <laughs> Thank you. It's good. Working through my trauma. Yeah. Um, but I think like it, it it, it really comes down to that. On a smaller level, for advertisers, the the boogeyman of creative wear out and, and and campaign wear out has made it so we are being briefed on a quarter by quarter basis or a half a year basis versus how do we add depth to every positioning and platform that we're in? Because mm-hmm. it feels like consumers appreciate depth, even if the initial launch may be a little bit wrong. Adding depth, adding context, adding understanding can turn a bad launch into a good launch. Adding that content around it, adding that supporting narratives, adding a committed narrative that isn't just, hey, in one week we believed in sustainability, but this week actually we believe in, uh, I don't know, something else. Like with, Totally, which, sorry, finish your point, but to, but to your point, like which is exactly what we were talking about of sort of service month jumping mm-hmm. where we just try to like latch onto the new thing, the new brief and, and the new, what is our identity and our mission? And then we'll switch gears. Mm-hmm. Like to, to that point, exactly. You know, uh, pride month has started and the thing that's floated my feeds more than anything else, you know, outside of various brands turning their logos, a rainbow color down to uh, the Marines showcasing a helmet with all of their bullets, different rainbow colors. Did you see the the Waystar Royco um, logo lockup with the pride flag in the back? That's a, that's uh, a nice I, touch. I did not, but I am going to look at that immediately after this podcast. It's very um, good. But the, the most common response I saw in the social feeds was an almost violent revolution yes. against the pride washing because so yes. many of these brands have been so inconsistent with how they approach the LGBTQIA plus audience, that again, this is about creating a committed narrative because truthfully, when you plan on short-term quarters, it blinds you to the long-term effect of your choices, your decisions, the things that you wanna do. But when you commit to a long-term narrative, you can start to see some of what's gonna happen. And honestly, for a, a, a stock market that is, as you said, so committed to the narrative, I really wonder how the story would have gone for Netflix if they had said, if they had said, hey, look, we lost 100K subscribers. We know there's a lot more competition out in the world, but the reality is what we're doing is working. Yeah. And we're gonna keep doing this. In fact, we're gonna exactly. keep investing in phenomenal, fantastic content. We're gonna keep investing in widening the aperture for international content because Five out of the 10 most talked about shows last year were Netflix shows from Squid Game to the reality shows like Too Hot to Handle, which I know is your favorite show, but we'll move on. Um, uh, And others, it feels like that confidence in staying the course could have actually been the solution to Netflix's problems versus figuring out all of these short-term impacts to change their course and change their inspiration. I totally agree. And just a couple like comments on what you said. Like, I think it is knowing the difference between when to iterate and when to invent. And I, I think a lot of the briefs that can come in can have like a let's start from scratch or not, not just that's, that's actually too like flippant. It, it is powered by learnings. It is powered by what we know and don't know. But I do think to your point, like sometimes iteration is all you need mm-hmm. and commitment. When we commit to a long-term narrative, um, 
there's a lot of different ways to do that. And it's not just up to like your advertising agency to sort of pick that. Like Tesla, for better or for worse, has committed to a long-term narrative that is Elon. Marketing mm-hmm. will never do anything in that space that will be more of a driving narrative and culture than whatever Elon tweets, mm-hmm. period. Good That's or, the narrative. You live it, good or bad, you live and die by it. So so now you know that, right? Like, And if you're a marketer try, you know, working on Tesla, like try to try to iterate and try to you know do what you can but like you're tinkering with knobs that don't actually affect the the mass narrative now you can still within that there's still a host of things to do to make tesla more effective there's still a ton of things you can do to drive consideration and actually get product trial and get you know brand recommended like recommendations and buzz of favor you can still do all of those things and those aren't easy to achieve but you're not gonna when we talk like macro culture narratives around brands you need to understand that like you're not it's definitely not going to come from your one ad or rarely does it the kaepernick thing is is a um a a huge exception to that rule but also like we sort of talked about in the overall scheme of nike it's a blip in the radar Mm -hmm. if you look back at two three years ago when that thing dropped you can't find on their stock price so marketing is rarely going to be the single driving narrative but it can help control it contain it and like maximize it if you know what you're dealing with. And also it's it's bigger than, usually it's bigger than you. Like a lot of times, especially with, with market movements, it's a narrative about the category itself, not just the brand. Like mm-hmm. that, act, that, that helps. Like a couple of years ago when there was a ton of ad tech companies that were like IPOing as, you know, um, the California Privacy Act was being signed into law and as like, cookie future was on the rise like none of that there was a lot of actual negative context if you looked at that and yet the entire category was ipoing at crazy rates because people just thought that like a personalized digital ad product was still going to find a way and so like Pub- pubmatic and all these other ones did very very well so i think it's it's recognized that one recognized like what is the macro cultural narrative of your brand and who's driving it is it the owner is it the is it the marketing? Is it actually the business? Is it uh, is it the the Reddit feeds? Shout out to GameStop, like who is actually driving your narrative? And then try to be a part of that. Um, and lastly, I would just say we're not saying commit to a singular creative asset, because if anybody from Caviar is listening to this, please please stop putting that one spot on my Hulu. I've seen it so many times. I'm begging you, stop. Your Hulu is doing too much. So we're not saying that, but what we are saying is commit to the narrative, right? Narratives can flex. You don't, you can do multiple creative versions. You can even do multiple kind of creative like settings and or even campaigns within that thing, but commit to that. I think that is where those are the only points I did talk and I wanted to like context on my my personal POV on it. No, I think that, that's a that's a great place to end things. Nothing in there I disagree with. And in fact, like you use talking just reminded me of uh uh, another another example, which is a lot of credit card companies actually have done the long term. A because they have literally have the capital to afford a long term. Yeah, we've get, I, we've let them borrow it. We've let them borrow it often with incredible interest rates. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but you know, like I think about uh, 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 Capital Capital One with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Yes, um, and having such a com- consistent, committed narrative for at least the last five or six years. And obviously, it's showing up and paying off well for them because with all the data we have at our ends, if it wasn't, they wouldn't keep them on as a spokesman. Totally. So I think like that is clearly, uh, clearly. Also, they probably would be a little bit afraid to let Samuel L. Jackson go because it's Samuel L. Jackson. The man is intimidating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
But I think with that said, everything you've said is sort of spot on in terms of understanding when to iterate or invent, understanding that actually just because something isn't net new doesn't make doesn't mean you can't make it feel brand new. Um, and adding context to a concept you put out into the world can be better than merely putting out a new concept into the world to chase the ever elusive high of newness. Here, here. I think that's great. I think we're going to end it right there. Um, that's the show. Thank you to everyone that listens, our friends that give us feedback, um, our enemies that give us feedback. We have yet to hear from you, but I'm sure you're out there. Um, our coworkers that actually give us all the fodder to this thing and sort of inspire these conversations. Um, and thank you, of course, to the people that actually help get this thing live. Zoe, who does the creative, Alex, who does all the editing to make this thing um, a little bit easier in your ears. Uh, and our good friends at Glow Mechanics for providing the beat on the way in and the beat on the way out. Thanks, y'all. I'm going to go watch Netflix. See you there. Bye.